What is up? Look at all of you. This is very cool. Beacon Theater. I saw the Rolling Stones here. Hi, guys, up there. Welcome to the show. This is a special episode of Love It or Leave It. It has been exactly 1,000 years since Donald Trump was elected <laughs> to the White House. Uh, <laughs> it is the one-year mark, uh, and I wanted us to take this opportunity. <laughs> what are we going to do about the hissing? I don't know what we're going to do. We're trapped in a... We're codependent. We're trapped in a vicious circle. I love all these shirts. I see a tour shirt. So it is the one year mark and we wanted to take this as an opportunity to look back on the year that was. Uh, <laughs> what changed, what didn't, what we learned, what we didn't learn. Uh, and uh, you know, just checking with how we're all feeling. A year in to this fucking nightmare. <laughs> so that's what tonight is all about. And to kick things off, I wanted to bring somebody out who, who can help us untangle an issue that's on a lot of people's minds. You've seen his work on MSNBC, on the Today Show, and in the New Yorker. Please welcome investigative reporter and my longtime golf buddy, Ronan Farrow. Hi, Ronan. Hello. Guys, give it up for Ronan. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming out. What's happening? So, I'm really glad to have you here because I know that there is an issue that's obviously been on your mind and you wanted to rant about it. So, what's been bugging you? Yes, something that has affected many of you over the past week, I'm sure. I'm talking about the iOS 11 bug, where you can't say I. I mean, what is up with that? So, for those of you who have been spared this, if you try to type I in any sentence in iOS 11, it turns it into an A followed by a string of vertical bars, which is called Unicode Variation Selector 16, and I don't know about you, but I am not Unicode Variation Selector 16. I'm a person with feelings, and I've been running around restructuring my sentences to be less self-centered, which is not a natural instinct for I me. did not know that he was going to be turning and on Apple. Apple has been doing this to us for a while. They have been destroying our individuality. They have been forcing us to use dongles to connect our phones to our computers. I'm a Is huge anyone fan. in this boat? Does I'm a huge fan of Apple. Share my frustration at not being able to connect the MacBook to the iPhone. It's a pioneering I mean, this platform. This has gone too far for too long. Again, you know, we rely on them. And we the love Apple. And the robot apocalypse is going to come. My iPhone 10 is on the way. First, they take away our eyes, 
And then they take away it's a our great actual company. individuality. Great company. And this is just too much for me. It's a just they I do mean, really good God, work, and I just think it's an unfair attack. And I think and I'm going to have robots to come, hire some kind of group of people to suppress this segment. To put the I into the sentence. I just think that this is totally inappropriate. Do not stand for Unicode Variation Selector 16. I'm going to have to get lawyers that involved. Not right. Stop this thing from running. He's Somebody on the comes side of the out here. Starts My ranting AI about Apple will not suppress me it's completely any unacceptable. And I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Fight for the I. Don't take it out of the sentences. Hi, Ronan. I'm fired up about this. So obviously, uh, <laughs> you've been in the news for some other matters. Uh, I think a lot of people in this room are appreciative of the reporting you've done around sexual harassment and assault. Cheer for all the women and men who have come forward and said that they were victims. That's a brave thing. I'm grateful for it. So, this year began with the election of someone who bragged on a tape about harassing women, assaulting women. Uh, and it has culminated in a kind of collective outpouring of stories from women and men about their experiences with harassment, misconduct, and assault. Do you think that there is a connection between the Access Hollywood tape not preventing Trump from winning and the kind of, I don't know, transcendent moment we're in right now? I think this is a tipping point. Do you all feel there's a tipping point? And I think that's a lot of factors. I don't think it's just about politics. I think it is the progression of, you know, my sister coming forward with an allegation against a powerful, prominent guy. Uh, Allegations against Bill Cosby, allegations against Roger Ailes, against Bill O'Reilly, one after another, really showing people who were struggling with this decision and living in silence that there's a precedent for this and people can talk about this. And, you know, praise to all of the reporters, it's not just me, who worked on this kind of story in the last several years because they all laid a foundation uh, along with the brave people coming forward that I think has allowed this moment to happen. Yeah. Um, so... In just the past few days, we've seen from, it's been from Weinstein to O'Reilly to Roy Moore today to Kevin Spacey, all the way to a story that broke today about Louis C.K. What do you think connects all these stories? I mean, we see in, in politics, people try to make hay, right? Uh, the Fox News goes bananas over Weinstein, but it remains silent around Ailes. I mean, do you think that there's something peculiar around Hollywood, or do you think it's a more structural problem? This story was always much bigger than Hollywood. And I'm sure that there are people in this audience who have been touched by issues of sexual abuse in one way or another. And look, it's something that was in my family. It's in so many families. I, I think in every walk of life, whether you are a Hollywood actress or you know, a blue-collar worker, um, you deal with this phenomenon of the abuse of power. And powerful men using a set of tools not available to people around the country um, and setting up these confrontations where the victim can never win. And that has got to change. And I think what we're seeing now is not just from Hollywood, but from every possible industry, people standing up and saying, enough is enough. Yeah. So what are you working on next, Ronan? I, uh, I am full steam ahead on this, and I think all of us in this country have to be, and all of us have a part to play, whether that's supporting someone in your life um, as they confront this issue, or confronting it yourself, or doing reporting on it. Um, so I'm not backing down, and I don't think people around America are. 
Guys, give it up for Ronan Farrow. Ronan, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Great to be here. Thanks, everyone. And when we come back, our panel. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. And we're back. Before I bring out our panel, I do want to do a bit of housekeeping. Uh, Crooked has launched a new podcast with Jason Kander called Majority 54. We've also launched Crooked Conversations. We're going to have new podcasts coming soon with Aaron Ryan and Ira Madison. And a bunch more coming soon at crooked.com. I've also been going to the gym a lot and making some strides there. I'm no Tommy Vitor, you know. Who is? Who is a Tommy Vitor? Where are my parents? Where are they? Oh, there they are. Guys, give it up for the Lovitz. And do I see, sitting next to my mother, Alyssa Mastermonico? All right, guys, I want to bring out our panel. Uh, very excited about the show tonight. She is co-host of CBS This Morning Saturday and a contributing editor at The Atlantic. Please welcome Alex Wagner. It's terrifying how popular this podcast is. Mm, especially to people who know me. <laughs> she is an NBC correspondent, MSNBC anchor, and the author of the New York Times best-selling Unbelievable, my front row seat to the craziest campaign in American history. Please welcome Katie Turr. And she's a comedian and has an upcoming special on HBO called Nice Lady. Please welcome Michelle Wolf. I have to tell you, I really had hoped that my onstage greetings would be less awkward than my offstage greetings, and I've yet to master it. How are you guys doing? There's something charming about it, though. Okay. Well, it we'll makes you more human. Makes me accessible to you people. <laughs> and I think that's cool. You pronounced our names right, so that's, that's a start. Crushing it. I mean, <laughs> let's get into it. What a year. So I think it's helpful when trying to assess where we're at through the Trump administration to break things down into categories because it's a lot to process. And I think it's, I like to think about it in terms of uh, the impact on the culture and the media, the impact on our institutions and our norms, and then what's happening in politics and on the policy front. So I, I wanted to start the conversation off with the media and culture. Katie, so you famously are someone who bore the brunt of direct attacks on the campaign trail by uh, uh, Donald Trump, who is the current president. Uh, but at the same time, from the other side, there have been a lot of attacks on the coverage of 2016 from the left, that whether it was an unfair equivalence between Hillary yeah. and Trump or Trump didn't get the scrutiny he deserved. In the wake of Trump becoming president, have you seen changes or adaptations in how reporters that cover Trump on a daily basis uh, deal with this unusual administration? First of all, you should have introduced me as Little Katie. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm most commonly known. Little Katie? Um, in the parlance of Trump. In the parlance of our times. Um, I think that there is a, a renaissance uh, in journalism right now. I think you're seeing people um, 
uh, feel uh, empowered to, to fact check moment to moment with this president, empowered uh, to investigate. The Washington Post is hiring more investigative journalists. We've hired a ton of journalists at NBC. We, we, every time he's on the air, at least when I'm anchoring, every time he's on the air and we have him on, uh, we, we play whatever he's saying in a, in a cabinet meeting where everyone tells him how great he is. Um, or he's in, you know, having a, a bilat with a foreign leader, or he's in China, whatever. We fact check what he says because he says so many incorrect things um, so much of the time. And, and that is, and people are paying attention, you're watching, and I think reporters uh, feel, we feel it. I mean, you guys are, you're supporting us, you stop us on the street, you follow us on Twitter, you're here for this podcast, and reporters feel that. And so they, they feel like their work matters. It's being, um, people are paying attention. Um, and there's a, a, a resurgence of energy. That being said, <laughs> and that's my favorite thing to say, that being said, um, there is a feeling among those who do not like Donald Trump that re- it, re- it is a reporter's job to convince Trump voters why they should not vote for him again or why they shouldn't have voted for him in the first place. And I'm sorry, but that is not our job. Our job is to report the facts, report what's going on, contextualize, um, uh, try to put things in perspective. But it is not to find some piece of information that will be the, the voila moment, uh, eureka moment for a Trump voter, for them to say, oh, that's, I've made a huge mistake. I'm never going to do is this again. Is there somebody working on that, though? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not your job, but is it somebody's job <laughs> to find that thing? Because it would be very cool. Well, it's not, it's not that it's not our job. Our job is to, is to dig and to, and to figure out what in the world is going on with Russia. What's happening with that? Why are, there, why are there so many people in Donald Trump's orbit that have so many connections to Russians? And why do they consistently lie about it? We're trying to figure that out. I'm just not saying, I'm saying. <laughs> you I'm and saying, Bob Mueller. My, uh, what I'm saying is, even if we do figure it out, that's not necessarily going to convince somebody that they should not have voted for Donald Trump. I would that's just, up to them. I, I, I agree with everything Katie's saying. I think, though, to your point about how Trump has changed the media, I, we would be remiss not to talk about the fact that the media in large part missed the Trump phenomenon and the fact that he was going to become president he was going to become president, period. Um, and, I, and I think what you've seen in the days since the election, the months since the election, which was a year ago, is a redoubling of efforts to make sure we don't miss a story again. And that, I think, has been to the great benefit of journalism in general. So that means getting out into the country, understanding what's happening in voters' minds, not just what's happening on the campaign stump, um, and redoubling efforts to be more comprehensive in terms of investigative journalism as well. And, and the live fact-checking, I think, is born not just of a, a president who has a tendency to bend the truth or crumple it up into a ball and throw it into a, a trash can <laughs> occasionally, uh, but is also born of the fact that that kind of rigorous uh, fact-checking was not done in large part at the beginning of the campaign. Yeah. I, um, I, I think both of you have kind of mentioned that you're doing a lot more investigative. You've hired more investigative journalists. So, I mean, he has created jobs. <laughs> <laughs> he's a jobs. He's a jobs president. 
when it comes to people's, people whose jobs it is to expose him. This is, yeah. These were not the jobs that he intended to create. No, it might be his downfall, but, uh, you know, he did it. Uh... <laughs> uh, so, Alex, in... <laughs> I take your point, and I think it's fair, this idea that journalism, that journalists generally miss the story, but have there kind of been like a, I mean, one criticism lately has been that there's just this proliferation of the mind of the Trump voter. Where are they at? I feel like they're checked There's been in. too much bandwidth there's given like towards that. There's like a thermostat on each of these people <laughs> that's kind of like everybody's adjusting. I mean, yeah. do you think that we've like overcorrected a little bit on that front? Um, Maybe, but I think the mistake is looking at the sort of wins that brought Trump into office as just relevant to Trump. I mean, this is really the story of class and race in America as much as it is anything else. Um, and I think there are some threads that are shared in terms of a sense of institutional failure and economic marginalization between Sanders voters and Trump voters, right? And, and, and again, both of those candidates at certain points in the campaign were completely dismissed as sort of novelty acts. But the things that brought people to those, those candidates, the, the, the motivations were legitimate and genuine. You may not agree with them, but those voters believe what they believe. So, I, I mean, I, in that way, I don't think we've spent too much time talking about that part of America. Yeah. So... One, one thing that uh, Peter Hamby, who worked at CNN for a long time, now at Snapchat, he wrote a piece in Vanity Fair, which is really worth reading, and he talked about some of the coverage, and he talked about the relationship between the White House press corps and the administration. And, and here's what he said. The political media has failed to reckon with its biggest and most enduring challenge, which has nothing to do with revenue or audience growth or cord cutters. The political press is facing a crisis of substance. It's not just poisoning the public's perception of journalism, it's playing right into Trump's hands. Pew looked into what the mainstream media covered in the first four months of the Trump administration, analyzing over 3,000 stories. The most covered topic, the president's political skills, a grand total of 39 other topics, including women's rights, poverty, civil rights, and the war in Afghanistan, garnered barely a mention, making up less than 4% of coverage. I don't want to be a scold about this, but, but one thing I think gets lost in this is what consumers are demanding and what people are demanding from the news. I mean. Michelle, do you think that like do you think that we spend too much time scolding the media around what they cover and not enough time worrying about the kind of news people are trying to get, the kind of news people are going after and their what they're choosing on Facebook, what they're clicking on? I mean, you have to we have to reframe news. Like news channels have about 23 hours of programming that's opinion and not news but they're all new shows. So it's like, you know, all these pundits and correspondents that aren't necessarily reporting facts, they're just saying their thoughts. And that's not news, that's, that's bias. Are you having a hard time differentiating between the pundits and the correspondents? Because the correspondents yeah, yeah, yeah. are The correspondents reporting. are great. Uh, they're doing a great job. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> out in the field getting stuff done. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and that's, you know, like you, but you ultimately have to be responsible for that. You have to be responsible to say like, oh, what I'm listening to is someone's opinion. What I'm reading is not from a real organization. You know, like you can't be dumb. It's your fault if you believe something that's not true. You're an idiot. 
you know, like the fact that you can put something out and be like, look at this graph. Like senators do it. Senators literally, they'll be like, they'll bring in a graph. Do you remember that one they brought in for Planned Parenthood? It didn't have a Y-axis. It was like, it was essentially just like a line on a paper. And he was like, look at all the humans they're killing. They're pulling, they're killing them after they're birthed. And, you know, it's not, like that's a senator. But people elected him. I think I just wrapped it up to say uh, uh, a nice nice little bow. Uh, You know, this 280 character limit on Twitter has really just thrown me for a loop. Katie, what do you, how do you feel about that with I, the kind of the balance of coverage on television? I think that um, we need to figure out how to how to balance covering what Donald Trump has tweeted on a daily basis, which can get a bit repetitive and redundant. Um, and, and yet not repetitive enough. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, he says these things and they are they're so outside of the norm right. and, and they are picking these fights and. It's hard to ignore it because it, it's it, it's changing the 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 face of the White House. It's changing the face of America. It's changing the values that we used to uphold and the values we used to uh, try to to sell across the world. I mean, it's just so disruptive for what um, had been normal up until Donald Trump. So we're figuring out how to balance that with also covering the fact that agencies are getting gutted behind the scenes and regulations are getting rolled back. And what does that mean for clean water across the country and clean air across the country? And how is that actually affecting Americans? I don't think we're covering real America as well as we should. I think we, we didn't cover it as well as we should during the election. I don't think we're covering as, covering as well as we should right now. I also don't think we're accurately discussing and understanding and covering the Trump voter. We do these, these you know, broad stories about what if he doesn't build a wall? What are you going to think? I've got a good story about that, by the way. Um, but we don't get it. what we missed then and what we're missing now is local stories in communities, stories that affect people, stories that will change their minds about how they vote, the issues that matter. We cover too much of the horse race. So I think that's a failure on our side. No, I, I, I agree with that, but I mean, <clears throat> news is a business, right? And there have always been ratings. Actually, I don't know when ratings began. For as long as I can remember. For as long as I can remember, there have been ratings. And, and that's real, right? And now not only are there ratings, there's social media and there's the pressure for things to be viral and there's the pressure for things to get traction uh, on the World Wide Web. You may have heard of it. And all of these forces conspire to create pressure on what kind of stories make air. And then there's also just the immediate sort of deliciousness of outrageous tweets. I mean, that's a very easy story to cover and a very easy story to get people, you know, fixed on a television watching or on a, a screen of some sort. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's like candy high. Um, and, I, and I think to the detriment of, as Katie points out, actual issues. 
But how you unwind that, I don't know. Well, no, the, the, how you unwind that, it's complicated. But ultimately, you guys are the ones that decide what you want to watch and what you want to read. I mean, take a look at yourself. What are you doing on your daily basis? On daily basis? Are what you are reading, you people doing are you on reading a daily the story? basis? Why are you here? Are you reading the story about Donald Trump's tweets and the, and the palace intrigue at the White House and Omarosa trying to take pictures with her wedding party? And the West Wing, or are you reading the story about the EPA getting gutted? I mean, good. Oh, I am yeah. glad you to look, hear that you are. But you if, know, if you're at, at best, you're reading both. If you're not demanding that news by watching it when it is on or reading it when it is written, you're not gonna get it. And sharing it, sharing it, tweeting it doing everything you can to support journalism because unfortunately we don't we're not the BBC there's no you're not paying a TV license every year that funds a TV network a news network we are reliant on ratings and advertising and viewers and eyes and social media has cut into that quite Maybe a bit make policy into like gifts or something like like a like a cute dog or something while you're telling, talking about Yeah, we need... It. We give giveaways of puppies on my show at 2 p.m. every day on MSNBC. So you please, get a shit You could you win a puppy a if you watch our show. Yeah, it's like, how do you, you know, some a deputy assistant secretary that's gutting coal regulations and then just have, like, you know, that dog that got stuck on a ledge <laughs> in the background... <laughs> Problem solved. Okay. <laughs> I want to move on to another topic. It's been a year since Trump campaigned uh, in part on a racial grievance agenda. He, uh, he said in his announcement, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. That is what set us down this path that we're on, we are on now. We've seen the president's comments on Charlottesville. We've seen the rise of more open and aggressive white nationalist movement, but at the same time, we just saw these elections in Virginia where, where Ed Gillespie's attempt to use the same kind of politics was rejected and by a great margin. We also saw the first Sikh mayor in U.S. history, the first Latinas in the Virginia State House, the first transgender state representative that openly ran as trans and won and defeated someone who was proudly homophobic, the first transgender person of color in a major city's council, the first African-American woman uh, to be the mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, and Justin Fairfax became the second African-American elected statewide in Virginia since Reconstruction. Michelle, when you, when you see this sort of dichotomy between the kind of politics Trump is practicing and these kind of victories the victories of a more diverse and inclusive America. Are you hopeful? Are you worried? Are you actually, do you think you're, we're seeing the limits of the kind of racial animus politics? Um, I think I'm, uh, I'm pessimistic in, in life, but uh, <laughs> I, it's almost like I'm really glad all those people won, and I also wish we hadn't told anyone they did. <laughs> so that everyone would still be as scared as they were on Monday. Because there's, I think everyone's just like, we fixed Virginia. It was like, we got some people in the House of Delegates. It's not really, I mean, where is, where is that even? You know? <laughs> no one knows, you know? Is Virginia a state? I don't know, you know? It's not. It's a commonwealth. There's so many, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I went to William & Mary, so we were kind of the capital for a little bit. But, <laughs> oh, shut up, you nerds. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like, it's just, like, it's... But the, the, the thing I love about that election is that that, that trans woman ran on traffic. And... I, that's what people need to do. You need to run on something that really pisses people off. <laughs> you know, like, I know, like, a lot of us liberals, I mean, I'm assuming every one of you is, uh, like, that, you know, yeah, you can run on, like, social platforms, but, like, be sneaky, you know? Like, run on traffic. Run on, like, I don't know, like, people that walk slow or something. Like... <laughs> I'm just announcing I'm running for office, guys. I just love... I'm getting all the slow walkers out of New York. That was... high-level pandering. I also just love the idea that traffic... I'm a comic. Tra- I love the idea that traffic is our Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. In a way. It is, it is the white Colin Kaepernick. Katie, uh... Take a knee, Toyota. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle Wolf, you just named an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, so you've talked about, you just now talked about the fact that we don't do enough to to look at what people, what actually affects these people, what changes their minds. We saw Ed Gillespie try to use MS-13 in NFL protests to, to kind of get over the hump uh, of not being particularly popular or not having an agenda that was particularly popular. Uh, Alex, you know, you spent a lot, a lot of time around both, I think, the diehard Trump people, but also people coming to Trump events to check it out yeah. who maybe ended up going with him. How, how much power do you think is left in this kind of racial grievance politics? You know, we've talked a lot about, oh, Trump hasn't delivered on his promises. You've talked about how the, there are these stories about how, oh, what happens if he doesn't build a wall? But is there, a, is there a point at which this no longer has the power it once did? Is there a point at which they'll start to see Trump as just another politician like Ed Gillespie and these appeals won't work anymore? I don't think it's going to happen soon. I think um, Virginia was uh, a bellwether for Democrats. It showed them how to win a race. Um, I think it was a, a, a burst of enthusiasm and energy for the Democratic Party. But I don't necessarily think it's a good idea to apply that um, as a rule for 2018 or even 2020. I do think Donald Trump is unlike any other politician. And it is hard for somebody else to run on a platform like he did and somehow gain support um, or expand the tent. Donald Trump was very good at doing that. He ran on racial politics. He also ran on the economy. He ran on building a wall. He would take all sides of an issue. He'd be very extreme and then be very moderate. I think women who get abortion should be punished. Oh, I don't actually think that. And people who wanted, went to see him, there were the people who really liked the extreme, hardline rhetoric. Muslim ban, great, let's deport all Muslims. And then there were those who saw that and said, you know, he doesn't really want to do a Muslim ban, but he's addressing that there is an issue that we don't understand. And I like that. I like that he's willing to say something uh, and not back down from it. I like that he's willing to address a problem that nobody else is willing to address. I don't think he's really going to try to ban all Muslims. I don't think that's going to happen. So I like Donald Trump. 
he he had a, a a unique ability to make to allow people to believe whatever they wanted to believe about him and that's why he was able to part of the reason why he was able to find folks who voted for President Obama and then voted for Donald Trump or folks who voted, wanted to vote or voted in the primaries for Bernie Sanders and then wanted to vote um, and then ended up voting for Donald Trump. He's unique and I, I, I wouldn't discount it. And I, and I, I do think that there is still a play when it comes to alienating the other for all the problems that the country is facing. I don't know if it's going to work for anybody else, but I could see it working for him, at least in part, again. Alex, what do you think about that? Oh, I just, I mean, America was founded on racial grievance, right? <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, na- you know, white nationalism, blood and soil nationalism are part of the fabric of our society. We should not forget, as we talk about how Donald Trump's been scuttled on some of his major um, policies that this week... The Department of Homeland Security has decided, has issued deportation notices to, you know, tens of thousands of residents from Honduras, from El Salvador, Sudan maybe next. We're talking 300,000 people who've lived here for decades who may be asked to go home by 2019 or forced to go home by 2019. So the wheels move forward on some of his immigration policies, though the wall may not ever be erected. Um, You know, I think, did Virginia show us the, this kind of nationalist politics is on the downslope. I mean, in certain parts of the country, maybe, I think the most heartening thing as we think about, you know, lines that are traditional in, in the parties is the fact that it was white suburban former Republicans that put a lot, that put trans people in off, office in, the, in this country. I mean, the, the, Trump has done, uh, has successfully sort of shaken up coalitions and has definitely shaken up the Republican Party and moved Republicans into the Democratic aisle to some degree, or at least that's what we saw on Tuesday. I don't know if that holds. I think if the Democrats take the House back in 2018, it will be in suburbs and exurbs in metropolitan areas. And that's good, right? But at the same time, does that steepen the divisions between the rural and the urban? Probably so. And that's not good as if you talk about national unity. The difference with, with last night from what I saw in 2016 on the road, there was real enthusiasm for voting against Donald Trump um, in Virginia. There wasn't that same enthusiasm to vote against him uh, in November of 2016. People didn't like him, but they didn't turn out to the polls in the same way um, as those who either really liked Donald Trump or really didn't like Hillary Clinton. The, the enthusiasm seems to have, the momentum behind the enthusiasm seems to have shifted, at least um, for the moment. Okay. So, we're going to call that a mixed bag. <laughs> when we come back, okay, stop. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. And we're back! Now for a segment we call OK Stop. Here's how it works. We're going to roll a clip, and when we feel like it, we say OK Stop so that we can talk about it. For this segment, I want to talk about institutions and norms. Uh, Last week in an interview, Trump lamented that he couldn't exert more influence over the Justice Department and the FBI. Uh, I thought it was a fascinating conversation. Look, I want you all to know 
that we are under no illusions about where your heads are at. <laughs> the people listening at home are under no illusions where your heads are at. Let's roll the clip. Uh, but, you know, the saddest thing is that because I'm the President of the United States, I am not supposed to be involved with the Justice Department. I'm not supposed to be involved with uh, the FBI. I'm not supposed to be doing the kind of things that I would love to be doing. And I'm very frustrated by it. I look at what's happening. Okay, stop. I, this is so remarkably transparent. I'm really, I'm, I'm very sad that I can't manipulate American law enforcement. You're like not allowed to say that. Like this is, this is not something presidents, they may want, they, yes, sure. Everybody wants to manipulate American law enforcement. I would like to manipulate American law enforcement. What are you after, Alex Wagner? What, What's your what? game? <laughs> what are you trying to stop? What are you trying to start? Oh, nothing. All I'm saying is, this is not what you're supposed to do when you're the president. You're not supposed to say this. What's, what's all the more strange is he says that, even though he is tweeting on a regular basis things like, do something. Where is the FBI and Justice Department? He's fired Comey. He asked for a loyalty test. So he is, seems to be sad that, he seems to be sad not that he isn't saying the things he wants to say, but it doesn't seem to be happening. You know, it's, he's not... He's trying to exert the influence. I am Democracy sad that all my isn't breaking and becoming an authoritarian regime where he can yeah. demand, <laughs> demand what he wants to happen actually happen. Yeah. I just like, like, if he thought that when he says, like, do something on Twitter, it's like, who, who's there that's like, get to work? <laughs> you know, like, who's reading his tweets and is like, that's my cue? <laughs> No. Even if he's in charge of, like, even if he's going to, like, do stuff with law or whatever. Sorry, I'm not as eloquent as you guys. Uh, <laughs> do stuff with law. <laughs> he, uh, like, you'd tell somebody. He wouldn't just tweet it out. It's like Chuck Grassley trying to get uh, Donald Trump to do stuff. He's been tweeting Donald Trump because apparently he can't pick up the phone and call the White House. Or when he does, nobody answers. I don't know. But Chuck Grassley tweets the same things with their messages to Trump. That's how Trump's mind works. I mean, Twitter is a forum for action, action and, uh, you know, the execution of action. It's, it's the real world, even though it's just social media. Do something. Exactly. The Justice Department, why aren't they going after Hillary Clinton with her emails and with her, uh, the dossier and the kind of money? I don't know, is it possible that okay, they Okay, stop. They did investigate the emails. <laughs> <laughs> in fact yes they did in fact I vaguely remember James Comey who as I would remind everyone here batting a thousand that Reinhold Niebuhr fan never makes a mistake look we all know what centrist philosopher Theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said, which is, <laughs> when you are an unassailable human being, uh, you send the letter the week before the election <laughs> and then pretend it didn't change everything. <laughs> I believe that that was part of his philosophy. I don't have a Niebuhr quote for this, but it seems odd to me that there is repeated calls to investigate something that has literally been investigated to death in the same way that, that there needed to be whatever 16 investigations of Benghazi, all of which came to the same conclusion. And surely there must be a medical term for when people 
keep asking for tests over and over and over again. Is it uh, smallpox? <laughs> it's funny because I actually, she's hinting at something specific and I'm supposed to know it, but all I want to say is, are you talking about beating a dead horse? No, <laughs> the definition of Oh, the definition thing. of insanity. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not. The audience I'm knew. not, uh, I'm not I do savvy. think though, if like, even now, I would love it if Hillary would just finally come out and be like, look, I hit a bunch of emails. You guys can't find them. I'm a grandmother who hid emails and the CIA couldn't find them. So bitch, that's why I should have been your president. <laughs> Let's finish the clip. It would, it would just be awesome to have Hillary Clinton start a sentence with bitch, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure like November 9th and 10th last year she did. <laughs> I, uh, I actually think like, like the uh, BP oil spill, if that blowout preventer fails and she starts cursing, she won't be able to stop. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll take, a, it'll take new technology to figure out how to plug that well. <laughs> I mean, it would be incredible. There'll be small box and cameras. And they'll still be like, Obama, why can't you stop this? Million dollars for the dossier, and how is it, which is total phony, it's fake fraud, and how is it used... And, you know, it's very discouraging to me. I, I'll be honest, I'm, not, I'm very unhappy with it that the Justice Department isn't going. Now, maybe they are, but you know, as president, and I think you understand this. Okay, uh, stop. As a Does he actually, like, break? The, is this all one sentence? I just, this is just a uh, side note. I think because that you're I'm being unfair. You're being unfair to the very legitimate journalist who did interject a question, which was, I believe, sure. Which is the kind of questions he takes now. I mean, there's no pause. The questions he gets are from, like, Lou Dobbs that are like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your critics won't admit how handsome you are. <laughs> now that America's great, what's next for you? I, uh, I, every time I hear the word dossier, I just imagine when Trump first heard it, he was like, yes, dossiers. We all know those. They are... I have several in my Manhattan apartment. They're gold dossiers. <laughs> my favorite part of that whole clip, though, is, is a moment later when he says, we're going to, basically, it's going to come to a head and we're going to do something about it. Favorite is, is a not the right word. That's your, um, that's your Thunder Road. My, uh, I, that, was, that was the one that, <laughs> that got me. I can't believe this asshole's president. <laughs> it's so terrible. <laughs> it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Alex, do you... So, he clearly would be happier if he had more control over the Justice Department. He fires Comey. That leads to Mueller. Uh, he has a, a will-they-or-won't-they vibe with Jeff Sessions. Um, <laughs> do they hate each other, or do they just want to kiss? Yeah. The jury's out on that. Do you think that the Justice Department... Do you think it's holding its own against the encroachment by Trump from your point of view? Do you think? Well, I think Bob Mueller, I mean, I think Bob Mueller is running a tight ship. And I mean, I, I think for, the, for, for people who are not used to far-reaching, potentially criminal probes of the sitting president, which is most of us probably, right? Um, you know, it's been really impressive that he has gathered, um, you know, the murderer's row of uh, criminal investigators. There have been almost no leaks. And then if you watched what can only be described as the sort of 
balleticism in the rolling indictments, uh, George Papadopoulos, you just realize, as someone said, one side is playing checkers, Bob Mueller is playing, like, high-level Russian chess. Um, and, you know, and, and it is working under duress. I'm sure there are, it is not an easy job that he has. Um, and I, you know, if you're talking about the job that, the just by virtue of the fact that this is a federal investigation, you know, run independently, I do think the Justice Department is doing a good job. Yeah. Bob Mueller, man. I do not want, I don't want that guy to ever know my name. No. I, I just, I feel like he's just like, I'm disappointed. And everyone's just like, no, don't be disappointed. <laughs> it's also crazy that he goes by Bob, because he looks like a, he looks like he's like, it's Robert. Yeah. So true. I imagine he was born like that too. Like he was always Robert Mueller. <laughs> Robert Mueller is teething. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robert Mueller took his first steps today. Robert Mueller does not like yams. Steady. <laughs> we are trying out peanut butter with young Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller does not have a nut allergy. I'm going to stop. Robert Mueller wore a full suit to third grade. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, a new game. Kate, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. And we're back. Now for a game we call Ryan versus Ryan. Is there somebody out there... Hello, what's your name? It's Jesse. Hi. Hi. Where are you from, Jesse? I'm from Tampa, Florida. Tampa? What brings you here, other than the obvious reason? Only you, honestly. I bought it, uh, tickets for my boyfriend's birthday. <laughs> you don't need to just talk. You, can, you don't need to be shy about it. That's exciting. Okay. <laughs> Jesse, here is how the game works. Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan's views about how a president should and should not act have changed a lot since Trump was elected. Sure. So this is a game that looks at what Paul Ryan will forgive if it might produce (laughs) deficit-raising tax cuts for billionaires. (laughs) So I am going to read you something that Paul Ryan said about what Obama did, and then your job will be to guess what Paul Ryan said about what Trump did during his time in okay. office, okay? Yeah. That sounded complicated. No, no, I, I think I <laughs> over-explained it. In practice, it's going to be okay. simple. You guys ready with your cards? Yep. Yes. After Trump refused to condemn the white supremacists in Charlottesville, Ryan said, quote, I know his heart is in the right place, which was very understanding. <laughs> what did Paul Ryan say? when Obama cried about Sandy Hook? A, crocodile tears will not change my mind about the Second Amendment. B, B, boys don't cry. Boys hide their feelings until they have a way to exact revenge on the social safety net. C, I thought we should have had the same kind of reaction when James Foley was beheaded. I didn't. That's dark as hell, Jesse. And I, 
I'm sorry we started with that one. As we were reading it, I thought it should have been question number two or three, but we started with something very, very dark. I, I feel very honored to be part of something so dark. <laughs> I guess. Jesse, we need your answer. I'm going to go with A. Wrong. <laughs> Jesse, believe it or not, he said that about James Foley. Paul Ryan said that, that he should show the same emotion about attacks related to ISIS. <laughs> Question number two. When asked about Trump tweeting, quote, Comey better hope that there are no tapes, Ryan said, I've decided I'm not going to comment on the tweet of the day. What did Paul Ryan say when Obama criticized Ryan's budget plan as, quote, thinly veiled social Darwinism? He's wrong. There is no veil. <laughs> We've gotten kind of used to this sort of verbal tantrums from the president. And see. We'll settle this in the dome. <laughs> Jesse? I guess I gotta go with B. That one you got. Yes, it's true. There was a time in which Paul Ryan denounced verbal tantrums by a president. That president was Barack Obama. Are you crazy, Paul Ryan? Are you kidding? <laughs> Jesse, question number three. In President Obama's final State of the Union address, he said, quote, there have been those who told us to fear the future who claim we could slam the brakes on change, promising to restore past glory if we just got some group or idea that was threatening America under control, which many took to be a reference to Trump. Paul Ryan responded by saying, quote, it degrades the presidency and that presidents should not wade into other parties' primaries. Recently, Donald Trump tweeted the following. The real story on collusion is in Donna B's new book. Crooked Hillary bought the DNC and then stole the Democratic primary from Crazy Bernie. Pocahontas just stated that the Democrats, led by the legendary Crooked Hillary Clinton, rigged the primaries. Let's go, FBI and Justice Department. <laughs> Finally, Bernie Sanders supporters have every right to be apoplectic of the theft of the Dem primary by Crooked Hillary. Jesse, <laughs> what did Paul Ryan say regarding these degradations of the presidency? We'll start with A. The president is undermining himself and disgracing his office in a transparent attempt to sow division and distract from his policy failures. NB. NB. Referring to Elizabeth Warren, a lawyer, professor, and U.S. senator as Pocahontas is insulting to her and to Native Americans across this country. Another good option. Would have been great. And option number C. Nothing. He said nothing. I wish it was A or B, but I think it's C. <laughs> Jesse, you got two out of three, which is below average in the game. However, all of those points, they didn't matter because now it's time for the lightning round. And here's how the lightning round works. I'm going to read you something that Paul Ryan said about the president and it will be your job to tell me whether he said it about President Obama or President Trump. <laughs> and it's gonna be fast, so are you ready, Jesse? Yes, yes I am. Ryan said this president was remarkably unpresidential. Obama. <laughs> Obama. He said it was about Obama. <laughs> Jesse, 
You're Obama. Oh, well, now it's too late. It's, it's never too late, John. <laughs> Ryan said this president has tremendous compassion. Did he say it about Obama or Trump? Trump. There you go. Ryan said this president was making the world more chaotic. Obama or Trump? Obama. That's right. He, Ryan said this president made him excited, very excited, so excited. Obama Trump. or Trump? Trump. And, fi and finally, Ryan said this president's relationship with Russia is making America weaker. Was it Obama or was it Trump? Obama. He said that about Obama. Isn't that amazing? Jesse, impossibly and against the odds, by the skin of your teeth, You've won Ryan versus Ryan. So you will get the gift card to Parachute Cheats. I want to thank Jesse, and I want to thank everyone around Jesse who fed Jesse answers. <laughs> because we put Jesse on the spot, and like good Democrats, it took a village. Uh, but we got her there, and she did wonderfully, and you came with your boyfriend from Tampa. And you're wearing a repeal and go fuck yourself shirt. Give it up for Jesse. And give it up for our panelists for playing the game. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. And we're back. Now for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin the wheel. It lands on a topic. And then we rant about it. That's really all there is to it. Um, now, there are many people who have said, oh, it's fixed, it's rigged. Unlike the DNC primary, it is not rigged. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I didn't even, but that just happened. I'm just, I'm, look, the point thing is we need transparency in the rant wheel moving forward. And these debates about what happened with the rant wheel in the past don't matter. That's not gonna help us win. Today on The Rant Wheel, we have robots, true crime podcasts, boomers and millennials sharing a space, Tom Steyer's ads about impeachment, Gawker, the website, Roy Moore, Outrage at Comedy, and Carter Page on TV. Let's spin the wheel. That's a thumping bass on the rant wheel at the beacon. It has landed on Carter Page on television. I believe that this was a suggestion by one Alex Wagner. Alex, you have the floor. Let me preface this by saying, please, Carter Page, don't ever stop going on television. My reason for bringing this up, John, is pretty simple. I want to ask the question, why? Why is Carter Page going on television? Every time Carter Page goes on television, Carter Page seems to do a disservice to Carter Page. What is your assessment of I this? I think he likes television and cameras and people talking to him. Sure. Why does he go in front of the House Intel Committee without a lawyer? I think the strategy here is to come off so crazy. Sure. Oh, the insanity defense. They're like, defense. oh, well, no, there's no way he ever did Carter anything. Page. It's so crazy. I think he thinks, I think Chris Hayes is Carter Page's only friend. 
I think that I think that after they get off the air, I think Carter Page says like that was so fun. It was great hanging out. Um, should we get pizza or something? And Chris Hayes is like, oh, I would I, so do that, but I'm like super busy. I told I I I Chris Hayes is a friend of mine. He's friends with all of a lot of us here. And I said I would like for you to have a television show with just Carter Page. <laughs> he he did not text me back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I love that Steve Bannon called Carter Page and told him, please don't go on MSNBC. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he's like, Steve, love you like a brother. You're the coolest guy I know. You're my best friend. He's like, how Carter, do I wear so on. many yeah. shirts at the same time? Yeah. How, can I, how can I get that look? Carter I, Page has got a Carter Page. I also just love the idea that in the Trump organization, you have Carter Page wandering around and George Papadopoulos running around and Dan Scavino running around. Amarosa running around. Like, I, I guess it's just like that in a normal campaign, Carter Page walks in and you're like, yes, let's not give him a badge. <laughs> Look at the faces he makes when he talks to people. I think he's just trying to raise money for eyebrows. <laughs> but, but seriously, okay, he likes being on television. Who doesn't? Uh, why does he go to the Intelligence Committee without a lawyer? lawyer? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I... Except for him to just, I don't know. I mean, my only theory is he... he comes off so absurd and ridiculous that he undercuts the argument that he could have done anything I nefarious. Mean, harmless or Ad harmful or nefarious. Adam Schiff's questioning cut through Carter Page <laughs> like a knife Are you through a tomato in an ad about how well this knife will cut through yeah. this tomato. Yes. <laughs> Carter Page walked out of that committee re meeting in two pieces. And he, he was still like, was like, it went well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Adam Schiff, do you want to get some pizza of himself to, to MSNBC? And then he's like, he put, his, put half of himself <laughs> down on one side and the other half on the other. And he said, Chris, let's shoot the shit. You're my best friend. <laughs> I mean, we, can, we should probably move on. But <laughs> it is in a year of extraordinarily weird politics, Carter Page with that shit-eating grin being like, I got no lawyer. I have tons of crimes. <laughs> and I am going to just talk about all of it. Emails you didn't know about. Emails I didn't know about. Shit the committee doesn't know. Shit Mueller doesn't know. I'm going to fuck Lewandowski. I'm going to go after Javanka. I don't care. I don't care. I'm Carter Page, and I am single. <laughs> Let's spin it again. It has landed on robots, making robots. Michelle, this was a suggestion yeah. that, not to the surprise of anyone in this room, did come from you. <laughs> These two smarties didn't think of this one. Uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, make a robot! Uh, we gotta stop! Stop it! Stop buying robots, stop making robots. Get that, get that Alexa out of your house. 
Throw Alexa away. Throw her. Destroy her. If you're mad about something, take it out on Alexa. Destroy it. Get it out. Get your smart refrigerator out. Stop sending your DNA to places. We got it. I mean, I, it's, it is the stupidest thing we're doing to make they're taking jobs. Michelle, did you have an ATM? I just broke up with a robot. <laughs> Carter Page had a torrid love affair with OK Google. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, if this was the beginning of a sci-fi movie and you were watching what's happening right now, you'd be like, these people are idiots. I also just like that we've spent the past two years watching as every set of, every like industry, celebrities, all of their information is getting leaked and hacked and posted online. And then we're like, oh, now that I'm done reading about the Sony hack, I'm gonna buy a speaker that's always recording 100% of the time in my bedroom. Also, I think this is somewhat related I almost bought, bought a pair of slippers to walk my dog in one time. I like, there was a promoted tweet. It said, here are these slippers you could buy. And I said, those look interesting. Clicked on it, $99. I'm no fool. Those slippers followed me around for a year. You come close to buying slippers, they don't forget. Let's spin it again. It has landed on True Crime Podcasts. Don't you cheer that, you fucking weirdos. How, how much true crime do you need in your lives? I launched Love It or Leave It. Oh, what's also launching at that time? Fucking S-Town. And so where does Love It or Leave It bump up against? S-Town on the charts. Because you people, the only thing you're paying attention to more than politics is unsolved murders from the 90s. You can't get enough. Jason Kander launches a podcast. It's a smash sensation. But where does it get to? Number two. Why? Because what's number one? Some fucking true crime thing. You people are sick. You're riding to work, or you're driving to the car, you're in the gym, or you're online at Chipotle, and what do you got in your ears? The blood spattered against the wall, and the pattern left questions about the ex-husband. S-Town's really good. Unbelievable. Also the title of a best-selling New York Times book, just want to throw that out there. It Sorry, is, that was a, a way, shameless plug. It is, in a way, about a true crime. <laughs> the story of how Trump became president. Let's spin it again. Okay. It is it landed on Gawker, and I wanted to put this here for a specific reason, which is there were a lot of people that were way, way too comfortable with an anti-First Amendment effort to shut down Gawker. That same lawyer, that same lawyer, Charles Harder, has been at the heart of multiple attempts to silence women uh, who have come forward recently. And not to mention the fact that over and over again, after, over the past uh, few weeks, as story after story has broken, these so-called open secrets, do you know where I read about them first? 
I wrote about them on Gawker. So, I didn't love the way Gawker did a lot of shit, but if we want to ask ourselves why it took so long for these stories to come out, maybe one question has to be, why was the only site that was able to point out these problems over and over again, a gossip site that people cheered when it got shut down? But, I mean, not to get really serious in the rant wheel, Let's do but it. why not? Um, it can be nuanced. Is Gawker it? Has, <laughs> can be, can I be, can rant against Gawker it next. It can be nuanced. Oh, people, this is know, the nuanced people listening hand. can't see the nuanced hands. I regret it, and it's good that people it's can't see it. It's going to get its own podcast on Crooked Media. Good. Nuanced Hands podcast, followed by... Never mind. Uh... The point that I, serious point I was trying to make was, you know, I think in that moment, rather than sort of necessarily bemoan the demise of Gawker, I'm not saying that I was one of the people cheering, but the implication there is institutional media needs to do a better job. Yeah. Right? I mean, and I think that's where there was a, there was, I mean, plenty of stuff Gawker did that was wildly, wildly heinous Heinous, and irresponsible. but But... their example, I think, by implicates institutional media in a fairly damning. What is scary about it, though, that one man with a ton of money decided that he didn't like something that was reporting something that he didn't like. Um, and he spent all of his money, not all of his money, he spent a lot of money, he got a lot of money, all, a lot of money to bankrupt Gawker to make it go away. And that should scare smaller organizations who are investigative organizations who don't have the money, Money. the lawyers, the lobbying power, the, and the um, profile that somebody like NBC or CBS or, or ABC does. I mean, that's scary that one man could just take his checkbook out and say, I don't like Gawker. We're going to get rid of it. I thought you were talking about Hulk Hogan. Yeah. (laughs) I know you were talking about Peter Peter Thiel. Well, it was, and, 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 um, I just think it speaks to just how hard it was for these stories to run that the only place that was willing to talk about it was a place that was also willing to go too far on a ton of shit that made it a target for someone like Peter Thiel because he didn't like the way he was covered in other ways. That's all. And I, and I, and I just think that as we go through this moment of reevaluation, one thing has to be to look back on where were people actually pointing it out. And it turns out it was a site that got shut down and not enough people stood up for it because it was kind of heinous but sometimes the First Amendment cases we should care about yeah. are the cases that are heinous. Well, but, and, and, and look, you had Ronan Farrow at the beginning of this podcast. Of whom I am who is a huge fan. Single, who is your golfing buddy, let's be, <laughs> let's be clear. And, and who has done almost single-handedly a huge service to, you know, upending our ideas and the power structure as it concerns men who have been able to hide for their lives for the, their, the entirety of their professional lives in some cases. And also... I mean, and avoid litigation, prosecution, yeah. and otherwise outing for criminal predation. The details of, of what Ronan has done, I mean, not to go to Ronan, but it, it's, it's amazing. What he's, what he's allowed women to say, to say, to come out and say, I didn't say anything because I was trying to get a job, or I didn't say anything because I, I didn't think anyone was going to believe me. These are all stories you hear over and over again. And if you kept working with the man or if you dealt with it and shut your mouth because you were trying to get ahead, people would, would look at women or, or, or just dismiss them for that. How dare you? You don't have any self-pride. If it was really bothering you, you wouldn't have stayed. 
And it totally undermined what was really happening. And what he has allowed is the, the fact that women can be honest about it. Hey, I, I dealt with it because I wanted to keep my job. I dealt with it because I was trying to get out there and make a difference, and I didn't want this to define me. And that is, I think, a remarkable part of his reporting. Yeah, I like that uh, a lot of the people are like, well, if it really bothered you, why'd you stay? It's like, I once a month I sit in front of you and act like nothing terribly terribly bad is happening to my body. And I just pretend like I'm having a normal day and you're having a normal day. And meanwhile, my insides are literally throwing themselves out of my body. Just all men? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so like the idea, it's like, yeah, we just, we put up with shit all of the time. Like that's just how we get through the day. That's how we do. Yeah. <laughs> Should we spit it one more time? It has landed on Roy Moore. So, the Washington Post reported tonight that uh, Roy Moore has been accused by at least four women of some form of inappropriate contact when they were underage, including uh, one very um, detailed account of a girl who was 14 who Roy Moore ran into outside of divorce court uh, and befriended her and then took advantage of her. Uh, this is Roy Moore who uh, refused to implement the Supreme Court's gay marriage decision. This is uh, Roy Moore who is far-right, fringe, supposedly a conservative Christian. And the question now is whether or not Republicans will line up behind him as they have, even though he was despicable long before this story came out. And fuck Roy Moore. I mean, what else is there to say? Uh, it's, it's too late. It's apparently too late for Republicans to get his name off the ballot. Uh, we've already seen uh, Mitch McConnell and others say if it's true, he shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't be the candidate, though. And Lisa Murkowski has already floated the idea of a write-in for Luther Strange. This is a terrible story and a reminder that undergirding so much of this kind of far-right fervor on the part of people like Roy Moore is an incredible hypocrisy. But it also means that Doug Jones has a chance in Alabama. And I hope everybody here will donate and help Doug Jones because I don't know if they'll be able to get his name off the ballot. It seems like they can't. I don't know if they'll do a write-in, but, but man, you know, <laughs> now it seems like Alabama has a choice between someone like Roy Moore and someone who prosecutes people like Roy Moore. I don't know if you guys have anything to add on this Roy Moore situation. Uh, I would just note that the reason we're learning about this is because Washington Post was re reporter was interviewing Roy Moore supporters in Alabama and got wind of this. So... To sort of, t I mean, not that supporters were saying, isn't it great that, that I don't think it happened like that. But to bring it back to our initial conversation, this is why journalism is important, right? Someone was down on the ground talking to people. And, and I think we would be remiss not mentioning Louis C.K., who also we got news about today, right? And what we are seeing is a seismic 
seismic transformation of the dialogue and the landscape around sexual harassment, sexual predation, the power dynamics between men and women, whether those are power dynamics established in the workplace or by virtue of age or income, whatever it is. But what this all has to do is prompt a much larger and much more deeply thought out conversation about gender in this country and victimization in this country and, um, and, and, and how we treat each other as human beings. I mean, fundamentally, that's what this is about, right? Because this happens in trans communities and gay communities and straight communities, and it is a, it is, it is a, a cancerous problem in our society. And also, it's about keeping Roy Moore out of the Senate <laughs> and the comeuppance for people like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and Rand Paul and Cory Gardner and John Cornyn, who, out of pure partisanship, held their nose and lined up behind this guy. And now this story comes out and they have to abandon him because... There's only, <laughs> apparently, they still do have some kind of a line. For the lawyers in the room, I just want to say that so far, Roy Moore has denied these allegations. I just think that's important to point out. Um, not saying one way or the other, just important to point out that he's denied it. Did I throw, um, oh, I'm sorry. Allegedly. Uh, my, my larger question, uh, what does this mean for Steve Bannon uh, candidates? Steve Bannon got behind Roy Moore, the president initially got behind Luther Strange, and then retracted that when Strange won, and then fulsomely endorsed Roy Moore. Well, I love Trump <laughs> on the stem being like, this might have been a mistake on my part. Yeah. <laughs> Luther <And> Strange! <laughs> so, but what does that mean for, for Bannon candidates? And, I mean, he's already trying to push forward a candidate here in New York City. Uh, you guys might remember Michael Grimm of Staten Island, who... You had me at Staten who, Island. Uh, who told a reporter, <laughs> told a reporter that he would break him in half and throw him over uh, the balcony. I think Michael Scotto was the reporter in the rotunda. He's alive. He is Thank alive. God. We love Michael. He did Scotto. not get thrown over. And Michael Grimm, but you know Michael Grimm went to jail. Yeah, who did also go to jail for I think it was campaign finance violations. I believe. Uh, <laughs> don't quote me on that. But look at, the, look at the Republican candidates we've seen. We've, we've got Michael Grimm, who's thinking about running again. We've got Roy Moore, who is now an accused pedophile. Uh, we had the guy in Montana who body slammed my friend Ben Jacobs and then was welcomed into Congress, because that's okay, apparently, <laughs> um, and then promised Ben Jacobs an interview and then never gave it as a part of his apology for body slamming him and then lying about it and trying to defame him. I think that we could only hope that it ends with Gianforte and Michael Grimm sitting across from Donald Trump at a table on a season of The Apprentice <laughs> coming soon to CISO, which no longer exists. R.I.P. Uh, CISO. I think uh, for, you know, men, you're having a little bit of trouble right now being humans and uh, I think from now on until you know you can all start I'm sure not all of you are terrible uh, so just help Some make help make the other ones good but until we revisit this I think every man before he wants to do something should get permission from a woman and not his mother because she's in on it 
He needs to get permission before a man wants to do anything. He has to get permission from an ex-girlfriend. Just till we figure it out. And I want to close the show by saying that GoGo Wi-Fi is terrible. <laughs> that it's just a terrible service. It's too expensive. Doesn't provide good Wi-Fi. Barely works. And you're a hostage up there trying to check your menchies. But you can't. So you have to refresh. Even though you paid $24 and it's just a flight to Cleveland. What is that per hour? It's too expensive. Look it's at all the this. idea of internet. They sell you the idea of internet. It's, a, it's, like, uh, it's like the timeshares Pacino was selling in Glengarry Glen Ross. He like looks at you and, don't you want to be the kind of person that has internet up here? I once met a guy like you. He didn't have internet up here. Then he got internet up here. Changed his whole fucking world. Wi-Fi is for closers. Thank you for shouting out that sentence. I want to thank our panel, Alex Wagner, Katie Turr, Michelle Wolf. I want to thank Ronan Barrow. Thank you guys for coming out. Have a great night. <laughs>